And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I love the Raiders, and most of all, I love to win. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up, and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. And this is the post-game show. We're breaking it down Tuesday morning here after the Raiders fell to 3-1 and with a 28-14 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium. A weird night that started out with uh, an indoor game, kind of. I mean, it, it, I guess the stadium could better be described as as a stadium with a canopy over it than a dome. But um, still, we had a 35-minute weather delay in Los Angeles indoors uh, because of lightning and I guess because of the openings at the top. They feared lightning could strike sideways, which can, but to get all the way down to the field, I don't know. But anyways, we had a 35-minute weather delay to this one. But the Raiders can't blame that for their slow start because they've done this slow start thing way too often now. They're going to have to get that figured out. I think one of the problems with them starting slow is that they just can't handle a pass rush when they're amped up and they have all the energy. It's hard for the offensive line to handle them. So I think they get better as they kind of settle into the game and as the pass rush kind of loses juice over time. But yeah, the state of the offensive line right now is just not good. And we saw how many instant pressures that the Chargers were able to get against the the Raiders in the beginning of the game. They got zero run game going. And they were able to kind of overcome that in the beginning of the season, but it, they just couldn't do it in this game. The pressure was just too immense, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the offensive line has been, been several reasons for these slow starts, but I think that's been the most consistent trend. But I think, you know, kind of what we, we saw in the first three games was, you know, as Ted said, in the second half, they, they really were able to pick it up. Um, even if they couldn't run the ball, they, they would improve in pass blocking. But this game, they, they stayed bad in both. And so that's even why they, they put together those back-to-back touchdowns there in the second half. The offense still wasn't quite clicking like, like we've seen it earlier this year. And uh, I mean, eventually just, you know, falling into those early deficits is, is going to come back on you. I mean, I know they came back from, from 14 zip twice, but, you know, while this, you know, I think is a, a better team than it was last year and potentially a good team, it's still not like a, a great team to where they can just play from behind all the time like this and it won't come back to bite them at some point. And so this is going to happen eventually if they didn't get over that, that early start issue. Yeah, I agree. I think it was clear that uh, Gruden wanted to establish a running game with Josh Jacobs coming back, and obviously it didn't work out. Uh, I think the first two plays, he got stuffed and he had a bad night. And like the old line, just um, 
it's been an issue all year, despite being three and zero. It's been an issue. I think last night uh, it definitely came to fruition that they uh, got in too big a hole, like like Deshaun said. So I'm not sure how you solve this problem. I don't know if you could go back to the wide open attack they've had at times this year, or if you keep trying to get that run going and hopefully at some point it cracks through. But uh, it's definitely a, a big problem for a team that has you know a good record at three and one. You look at that first half, the Raiders fall down 21 nothing at halftime. Offensively, they picked up one first down in the entire first half. Defensively, they gave up a touchdown drive on the Chargers' first drive. They make the Chargers go 12 plays, 75 yards, and then they tightened up. Three and out, turnover on downs, which they gave up you know, one first down, then three and out, three and out. So defense gave them a chance. Eventually, I mean, the, the defense can't keep holding off a team for so long, for so long, when the offense is doing nothing. And so, I mean, I think... Even though we saw the Raiders give up those two touchdowns on the Chargers' final two drives of the first half to take the 21-0 lead, I mean, they were playing well. Um, you know, only gave up seven points in the second half. And at some point, just it's so funny that for all these years we've talked about the offense carrying the defense. I mean, we're in a spot right now where really it is uh, for large stretches of games, the defense is trying to carry the offense. I will give them credit, though. They came back. I mean, I, I, when it was 21-0 at halftime, I thought they were dead. I thought they were, you know, looked like they were dead. They weren't, had a lot of life, and I didn't see how they were going to break through either on offense or maintain it on defense. But they came back. They scored twice. They were driving the tie of the game, the big play to Henry Ruggs, 51-yarder. So um, I know there's no moral victories, but you have to give them credit. I mean, it was a tough environment, and, uh, and the Chargers always were fired up. But to come back and actually have it become a close game again, I thought was commendable. It's hard to put too much blame on, on the defense, especially considering, I mean, they had Trayvon Mullen went out uh, with an injury in the first half. I believe it was foot injury. Damon Arnett went down with a groin injury. And Casey Hayward went down as well. It didn't give us an injury update during the game, but he didn't finish the game. So they had, you know, Nate Hobbs and Meek Robertson on the outside. And our man Roger Teamer was playing some slot in his first game of the year as a safety. And so, you know, obviously they gave up that big fourth and two that led to the touchdown to ice the game. But, I mean, given the circumstances and, and the offense just continually putting them back out there, I think it was a, you know, a decent game for the defense. Yeah, it's tough when the offense goes three and out, three and out, three and out, and you're just constantly going back on a field. And, and like you talked about, the the quarterback injuries, it's tough playing the league when you're playing with third, fourth string cornerbacks, especially against a quarterback like Justin Herbert. So I give the defense a ton of credit for just keeping the Raiders – in the game and it was kind of funny in the press box it's hard to read those numbers and so we were just like we were trying to figure out who's on the field who's playing corner and it, it's hard seeing those gray uh, gray numbers on those white jerseys did he just call silver gray? oh sorry silver <laughs> i mean it's, it's not rich it's, 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 it's kind of it's, it's kind of yeah it's early my bad my bad <laughs> he's in a blackout room he's probably hung over it's, all right. it's, all, it's all it's all good you know we joked last week i guess the key to this game really was they should have signed isaiah johnson they could have used him uh, last night. All you guys laughed at me. But I was yeah, the Jerry Cook catch man. Jerry Cook, man, that guy. Obviously, I didn't hear what he said after the game, but I'm sure he was fired up. I mean, uh, he had a Pro Bowl season here with the Raiders, and they didn't make him an offer because they had found Darren Waller. But uh, he made some big plays. The two fourth down catches. The second one was just a great catch. Tough throw on fourth and down. And, you know, he was pretty well covered, but great catch. And definitely, those were two two huge plays in the game. All right, so the Raiders cut it to 21-14 with those two touchdown drives to start the second half. And Vic, you wrote about the, the kind of the key situation. They get the second and five, and they get a, a two-yard Jacobs run, and then third and three, Carr gets sacked. And Hunter Renfro tried to take the blame. He said that he ran the wrong way on his route. Carr described it differently, said that Waller ran too fast and basically ran his defender into the path of Renfro. 
Either way, it led to the Christian Covington sack that uh, set up a 52-yard field goal, um, which Daniel Carlson missed, snapping his long streak of of consecutive field goals made. And it led to this quote from Joey Bosa, which I, you know, I don't know how much I buy this quote. You know, he says, you saw on, on CC, that's uh, Christian Covington's sack, he was pretty much curling into a ball before we even got back there. So great dude, great player. He's been having a great year, but we know once you get pressure on him, he kind of shuts down and he's not as effective with a crowded pocket. So that was the key. And, you know, I mean, I know there's been that criticism of Carr in the past. And I think in past seasons, we have seen him sometimes play a little bit like that. I don't think he's been playing like that this season. I don't think he played like that last night. That'll add some spice to the next time the Raiders and the Chargers play. I love the uh, great guy, great dude, but <laughs> a, a two by four to the side of the head. But um, yeah, that was, uh, I, I hated both of those. I mean, the second and five, I hated the run call. I thought they were moving the ball, passing the, I, mean, I don't know why John fully had to go back and try to get the run going again. They had tried 16 times, whatever. It just, run game wasn't going to work, and you have enough weapons. On offense, and you've shown the short passing game can be your running game. I just don't know why you go back to the running game there. So then third, you know, third and three. I did thought the quote was a little was a little harsh, but on that play, you definitely can see Carr flinch before. Like there's a moment there where he's looking around, he flinches when there's no one really that close to him, and then he gets sacked like a few seconds later. But yeah, it's just a it's a harsh, and especially when the O line just wasn't there for him. He was getting attacked all night long. It's just, yeah, it's just, it was a rough time for, for, for Carr. I just, uh, that quote will get a lot of mileage and it's unfortunate because, um, like I said, I mean, Derek was having a you know, MVP tap. He was a guy, the whole league was saying how he had turned the corner. This was his biggest year, greatest year so far. And then in, in one night, it goes back to the old, you know, reputation of uh, being a quote-unquote shook. So, that was rough. I thought it was a rough quote, and obviously Bosa was fired up. And it's a, it's a rivalry. I'm sure the Chargers players don't enjoy coming in and having the Raider fans. You know, last night was probably half-half, but still, very loud Raider, you know, crowd at their place. I'm sure that's frustrating for the players as well. Yeah, you guys didn't hear, the, obviously, the pregame show since you were there, but the, the, it seemed like the whole ESPN pregame show was dedicated to getting Derek Carr a new contract. I think Steve Young must have said at least 10 times, pay the man. There was like a whole long segment about how, why haven't the Raiders paid Derek Carr, and Adam Schefter's finally explained, like, well, he has two more years left on his deal, and they yeah, they, they want to see a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, there was like a whole pregame show dedicated to pay Carr. You know, to go back to that Bosa quote, I think that that was his reputation in the league. I, t- I talked to a quarterback coach in the in the league that said, you know, every quarterback has a has a hit count, right? Like if you get hit a certain amount of times, at a certain point, that quarterback's going to start flinching. He's going to start passing a little early. He, he's going to start throwing off his back foot. And for Carr, that that hit count was kind of early. It was a it was a very short hit count early on. But I think this season we saw him progress. Even in a second half in a Chargers game, a lot of those big plays were caused by Carr holding onto the ball and making plays with his legs. You know, so I, I don't buy that Bosa quote anymore. I think that was his past reputation, but I think he's gotten a lot better, and we even saw that in the second half with the the Chargers game. So, yeah, I, I think considering how bad the offensive line, I thought Carr played a better than average game. I would give him a B B for this game, just considering how much pressure he was seeing early in the game. Yeah, and he might have flinched on that play is if there was actual some route overlap because, you know, Waller coming too fast over, or, you know, Hunter not hooking up like he said he should have. Uh, maybe that was a, a more of a quick throw kind of situation. And when the quick throw wasn't there, he kind of like froze up and was like, oh, that's not supposed to, you know. And so maybe that was part of it even more so than, you know, being scared about pressure being there. 
Yeah, I think I saw one of the replays like from the, you know, kind of the quarterback view. And I mean, there wasn't anybody open. And so like the window from when he expected, I think Renfro to be open wasn't there. And then, it, yeah, he might have flinched early before it looked like there was about to be contact. But um, it also was it pretty quickly, you know, collapsed on him. And, you know, Vic, you've written about it. You talked to Derek about it, that he has had an issue with you know, losing fumbles on on those kind of plays. He lost a fumble, which uh, the the one that he didn't lose a fumble, but he did fumble. The Raiders recovered it. They recovered all uh, all six fumbles they've had this year. But um, he did he did get strip sacked by Bosa earlier in the game. That could be part of it. I mean, he said that he's working on trying to avoid you know fumbling in those situations. So I, I think he, it could be like, all right, I'm going to take the sack. I know I'm going to take the sack. Let me make sure I hold on to the ball because we're still confident in Daniel Carlson kicking from 52 yards. Bosa, in his quote, referred to that play. I think you, maybe he saw the flinch, but I'm not, again, I think, like I said earlier, I think the O-line was the biggest problem last night. It's been a big problem all year long, I think. And Leatherwood, I don't know what the final tally was, but there was two false starts and the sack allowed. And just, um, Andre James still not getting to push up the middle that you need. So just, um, I know they have some injuries, but still, that, that unit's not where it has to be for a team that wants to contend uh, this season. You know, you can't really make a trade because everybody is so desperate for tackles now. And I think maybe looking at Mitchell Schwartz, who, you know, can play that when he's healthy, he, he's, he's one of the best right tackles in the league. And he's a going to replace your first round. Pick? I mean, you know, I think he could use some time to sit. Honestly, I mean, he he's it was a developmental player that needed to work on his technique and fundamentals. And, you know, now he's being thrown in a fire and he, he's played like the, the worst right tackle in the league. I think he's 31st in pass block win rate, you know, in the league. So, you know, I think, he, you know, he might be, be able to use some time to sit and, and develop. And, you know, if you add a guy like Mitchell Schwartz and then Incognito comes back, you might have a much better offensive line. But I think right now this offensive line is not where it needs to be for this team to be a, a real playoff and, you know, championship contender. Yeah, I don't know about whether we get the bench, but I think, you know, I think we saw at some point, I think it was the second quarter, look like Jermaine Luminar got swapped out for uh, Jordan Simmons, who hadn't played up to this point, and we didn't get any injury update on Luminor, so I don't know if that was, he came back in, so I don't know if it was like a temporary benching or something like that, but if anything, you know, maybe you move Leatherwood inside to guards, since that's what he played for a bit at Alabama, and I don't know, maybe you think Brandon Parker at right tackle is better than, you know, what you're getting at that guard spot. Maybe you think Alex Otherwood is so much better than the guard that you have that maybe that's a better lineup. So I don't I don't know. Maybe we see some reconfiguring at some point, but they really can't I don't I don't see, you know, they can't, you know, fix those injuries that they have at the guard spot. And so um I, I don't know how like what the ceiling on this offensive line will be, you know, with with those health issues. A smaller note, I mean, Gruden mentioned, you know, Derek Carrier being out, he got hurt early on. And it's, you know, it's definitely, it's a, it's a sizable deal. I mean, he's a third tight end, but he's a lot of their blocking stats. He helps out with chipping on guys and a lot of their three tight end formations they can't use. It's a big part of their offense. So and that's, a, that's a small factor, but something else that should be noted, I think that was a factor last night. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right now, I mean, I think if you look at the flaw of this team, and, and you know, let's let's keep perspective. They're three and one after four games. I don't think any Raiders fan would have turned down a three and one start. You know, there's they're tied for first still in the AFC West. Uh, Chargers, Broncos, Raiders, all three and one. But if if you look at the fatal flaw of this team so far, it's the fact that they you know went in the offseason. And, and I, I'm not going to say that it was a bad decision to trade away Gabe Jackson to trade away Trent Brown. I get those. I'm going to still, I, I think I'll always probably still criticize that Rodney Hudson one, because even if he asked out, I think those are situations that typically can be worked out and, and we're seeing what, how, how much that's impacting them. But going into the season, relying on a rookie right tackle, re- relying on Richie Incognito staying healthy at 38, that was a risky business. They, they saved a lot of money on that offensive line with the moves they made, but it's really coming back to bite them right now. Especially when the one concern, one of the concerns about Derek Carr has been that he does, he needs um, a good offensive line in front of him to definitely his play. As most quarterbacks will definitely deteriorate if he, you know, under pressure and him, the reputation of him flinching whenever and being shook. But there's that definitely a knock against him. He needs um, a good old line to really maximize his potential and, and, the, and the offense's potential. So knowing that and knowing that in the back of your mind, you need that established Maybe it was you know, a too risky a, a roll of the dice. Yeah, there was like a kind of a interesting kind of way of thinking, given how they've made some win now moves when it comes to benching guys like Damon Arnett or benching Clee Farrell, and um, you know, kind of you know playing having kind of these mercenaries come in, these, these Gus Bradley mercenaries coming in on, on defense. But then you kind of take this developmental, long term approach with I think probably you know behind quarterback the, the second most important position group in football making all these win now moves and then you go developmental at like, you know, such a key spot. It kind of, it didn't line up. It didn't make sense to me at the time. And, and it still doesn't now, you know, with the Rodney Hudson one, even not I'm trying to pile on Andre James, but I, I just don't understand that one to this day. They were trying to get a discount on guards and, uh, you, you know, because then, you know, with the uh, free, the uh, cap going down, there were a lot of cheap deals for guards. And I think they ended up getting cheap deals for uh, Denzel Good and Richie Incognito. So they got the, what they wanted, but unfortunately, you know, Incognito is 38 years old, coming off an injury, and, you know, he hasn't played this season. That's a big problem. I, I think right now the right tackle position is really, really problematic, so they got, they got to figure that out. All right, well, let's turn to a little bit of a positive note, and uh, we got to talk about Hunter Renfro. I mean, the play of the day, uh, it didn't end up, you know, impacting the win, or it didn't, didn't end up impacting the result of the game, but... One of the plays that kept him in the game was the Chargers going for that fake punt and Hunter Renfro kind of early sniffing it out and noticing that the gunner over on that side was uncovered and he started sneaking up even before the snap, I believe. And he comes up there and just lays the hit stick and breaks up the pass, he officially gets in the books with a pass defense. We've seen so much good things out of Hunter Renfro in his three years here. That just really showed how high of a football IQ guy he is and just how much of a of just a football player he is to be able to make a play like that. I, say, I know that didn't like impact the outcome, like you said, but I mean, even the touchdown that he had running the, the route that, that Ted wrote about last week, I was kind of surprised he, 
he did it again. I was, I was triggering, you know, all this attention that it was getting guys to start picking up on it. But he he cooked the defender on that one. And so, I mean, he's, you know, since he's he's gotten with the Raiders, he's been a consistent player and a smart player and somebody that, that tends to catch defensive backs off guard, even still, even with all these shown. But, you know, definitely the punt play was impressive. But I, I think his, his play at it. His play at evening, I, I think, was was pulling off that route again. He made a great read on that play on, on the fake punt, and definitely a, a nice hit. Just to show, it shows, you know, people look at him and don't see the athlete, but he was, you know, a big time athlete in high school, played DB in high school, and like like Sean says, he's a football player, he's just a guy who definitely um, that would would have been a huge play if they won that game last night. Would have been something we, we definitely would have written about and talked about a lot more, but uh, got lost in kind of all the mistakes they made. But uh, yeah, the legend grows, I and mean, he's just a, he's just a, he's a fan favorite for for a reason. In terms of some other positives, uh, Darius Phylon, you know, we've talked about him, I think, uh, you know, kind of really for the last month or so as, as a guy that really has showed something in terms of being an interior pass rusher that the Raiders have needed. We got a question last week about why the Raiders aren't using Clee Furl uh, as an interior pass rusher in passing situations. And I, I think Phylon once again showed you why. I mean, he, he, the guy really gets a good burst off the line and uh, and had two sacks on uh, on Monday night. It'd be nice to talk to that guy. I mean, you know, we haven't. I haven't spoke to him since he signed or had two sacks, nothing like that. You know, you just can't seem to get him in a press conference. But uh, yeah, he's played pretty well. I mean, you know, they could kind of have a ro- rotational spot going there, that through technique position. Um, and then I think with Gerald McCoy going down as well, that kind of opened up a spot for him behind Hankins at one technique. I think he's a guy that can play both. And, you know, I know we, we always or typically we focus on the edges a lot when it comes to the pass rush, but they've gotten a really good interior rush this year, which obviously wasn't the case last year with the Malik Collins experiment. So between Fireline and Quentin Jefferson playing well and Solomon Thomas um, as, as well, I think who had a, a pass section at the line of scrimmage, you know, they've gotten pretty good play at that spot. Against the pass, the run defense is another, is another story, but, you know, pass rush has been good. He hadn't played for a couple of years, but when he came in, I know Gus Bradley liked his twitch and definitely his, he has a nastiness, which I like. He brings to the group and definitely, um, and both him and Solomon Thomas. Thomas had a nice pass block last night. That was huge in the early sequence. They're coming back in that game. So just that D line's been definitely the strength, uh, almost, I think, of the whole team for me. I just think it's uh, the rotation's working well. Yeah, Phylon's been, been a great ad. To me, Phylon is the most has been the most impressive interior defensive lineman. I know Solomon Thomas gets you know he has the numbers, and you know Thomas has a couple cleanup sacks, and he's been impressive. But to me, Phylon has been uh, the most consistently disruptive I- inside. So that was a great signing by the Raiders to pick him up. We mentioned Waller earlier uh, in reference to Jared Cook. You know the Raiders, as Vic said. They never extended an offer to Jared Cook despite having a Pro Bowl season for them in 2018. And it didn't really hide the reasons why. I mean, they they went into that offseason despite, you know, Waller. I think he had, you know, four or five catches or whatever down the stretch. Had a couple big plays in that game in Cincinnati. And they just kind of knew and said, like, this is going to be our, our new tight end one. They knew what they had there, which was a little bit surprising just because he ha- hadn't had a history of being – able to stay on the field we know the off-field issues but uh obviously i think everybody at that point was confident in where he was and he emerged and, and it was it ended up being the right call to to let waller kind of take over as the number one tight end he had, had a good game i mean the touchdown where, where Carr just kind of threw it up to him and let him make a play that was great but uh, before we talk about that we got to talk about the taunting call i mean what the hell is the nfl doing with this call i mean it's it's just ridiculous i mean he, he makes a nice catch he throws throws down a spike that doesn't even like get register on the radar of the two Chargers defenders around him, and boom, it's 15 yards, and it really set the Raiders back and, and helped kill that drive. 
Yeah, to me, the only way you make that call if you're the official is if in your mind you said, oh, my God, I got to make a taunting call. I, gotta, I haven't called him for taunting yet. I got I to find a taunting call. And you're looking for one. And now, oh, that's it. He starts taunting. And you, I mean, just, it's such a, like you said, it's ridiculous to the, the, the draw the conclusion that, plus, because Waller wasn't looking at the guys. He was facing their direction. He was on the sideline, out of bounds, and they spiked the ball. And to think that that was, you know, aimed at them or he was making, you know, ridiculing really, really them for not making the play, it's just a, it's a huge leap to make. And I think you have to be, like I said, predetermined to make that call at that point, which I thought was, it's just a horrible rule. And they're definitely looking to enforce it. I guess they're trying to, to scare players straight and not doing emotional things that may be misconstrued as slights to your opponent. But it's just, uh, I mean, that's not what the football, that's not what football is. It's just, uh, it's a horrible rule. And you can tell definitely Waller, I think, that he, didn't, he said it wasn't true, but he spiked the ball another time after the touchdown. I think he spiked his helmet at one point, and he definitely was upset about it. But, um, yeah, it's just a stupid rule. It doesn't make sense because, like, like, they still have the end zone celebration camera. <laughs> like, all the sick, which I love. You can do like, it after I'm, a touchdown, like, just not yeah, after a, a I love a all the catch. synchronized celebrations are great, but it's like you can't have that. And then also, you know, somebody spikes a ball and it's a 15-yard penalty. Like, that's another thing. 15 yards? Like, for that? <laughs> like, I guess it was a five-yard. Like, it told me I get less for a false start than I do for, for throwing a football down. Like, it's, it's such a stupid rule. But I think Waller, you know, we all kind of, you know, harped on Carr a little bit for – all those targets that he had towards Waller in the first game. But since then, I mean, the last three games, it's not that he's been, you know, ineffective necessarily. But, you know, I think like the first quarter, I don't think he had – or a while in the first quarter, he didn't have any targets. Um, and, he, and he's kind of been held to these pedestrian stat lines. And so I'm at the look a bit look, – look a little closer. I think Darwin James had a big part of the play in that. And, and maybe Mika Fitzpatrick was another matchup that he had in the past. But ever since week one, he's kind of been contained a little bit. Yeah, I think the worst part of the taunting penalty is you can get kicked out of the game. You know, imagine if uh, if Darren Waller gets kicked out of a game because of two taunting penalties. That, w- that would just be terrible. And it's going to happen eventually this season. But yeah, I-, I think, you know, with the Waller situation, I-, I think teams are giving him a lot of attention. I think Derwin James is one of the best tight end racers in-, in the league, if not the best tight end racer in the league. So I-, I think they're okay with, you know, spreading the ball out, especially when Waller gets double teamed. But, you know, I think we'll eventually see a game where Waller gets a ton of targets again if he has the right matchup. Yeah, I don't know what the breakdown, what the, what the breakdown was, but I thought James did a nice job on him, I think, when he covered him. Uh, Waller wasn't much of a factor. And that last interception, which you can't blame Derek for. He was just trying to make a play down 14, but also good coverage there. I just think um, the other thing I didn't really pick up on why was, I mean, Brian Edwards only had one target last night. I think he had, I think he had one catch for four yards, and, that's a guy's been a factor, especially late in, in games. So, you gotta, I guess, like they said, you got to tip your cap to the defense. They did a nice job, also. I mean, it's always what went wrong with the Raiders, why, why they didn't make plays. But, you know, part of it is the other team, you know, is actually pretty good. They have talent on that side of the ball, and they made some plays last night. One last thing on the taunting call uh, the, the broadcast. This got me to eye roll. They made a special point to, to mention, you know, everyone, I think, thinks that this taunting rule is like, you know, Oh, it's just a bunch of old guys that, that came up with a stupid rule. The broadcast made, made a special point to mention, you know, there are young, innovative guys like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan on, on the competition committee that were part of making this rule and a point of emphasis. So don't just blame this on, on old guys stuck in an office, uh, which was, uh, you know, hey, that's, that's what happens on an NFL broadcast. They have to uh, protect the, the shield. But uh, I thought that was 
I thought that was a little sad, but I, I mean, nobody likes this rule. Nobody likes this rule, but uh, apparently some of these coaches do that. So they say, but I don't know. I don't really buy it. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap up this post-game edition of State of the Nation. The Raiders, they lost to the Chargers 28-14, but they're still 3-1. They still have a lot of opportunities ahead of them, and it'll start on Sunday when they welcome Khalil Mack and the Chicago Bears to Allegiant Stadium. We'll be back later in the week to help you get ready for the Raiders taking on the Chicago Bears. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.